Well, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles um, to Philippians chapter 1. It's actually printed in your bulletin. We're actually going to read the first half of this passage now and then read the rest as we get to it. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Well, let us give our attention to God's perfect Word. Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Thus far in God's Word, let us pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, it's a joy to be in Your house on Your Lord's Day. Lord, though there are restrictions, we can be here and and gather and, and those at home can be gathered watching. Thank You for this age with this technology. But Lord, even with the technology, even gathered here, we need Your Holy Spirit to carry me, to carry them as I preach and as, as they listen. Lord, please, for Your own glory's sake, move this morning, we pray, in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've heard of this concept of a bucket list. Have you heard of this? Um, so the idea is, before you kick the bucket, before you die, a list of things you really want to do. So I found this list, a top five list of things on people's bucket list. The number one thing was actually see the northern lights. That was surprising to me. Number two, skydive. Three, get a tattoo. Go on a cruise was number four. And number five was swim with dolphins. What would you put on your bucket list? If you made a bucket list, just think for a moment. What would be a few things that you would really like to do in your life before it ends? I wonder how many people would include on their bucket list their neighbor's salvation. Would it not only be on the list, would it be the top of your list? Interesting. How well, this morning, this passage is a little of Paul's bucket list. He's talking about the thing he wants more than anything else in his life before he dies. What is it? He wants to see the Gospel advance. And that's what we're looking at this morning. This morning we'll be answering the what should we prioritize in our lives? What should we prioritize in our lives? We'll answer it in two ways. It's actually in your bulletin, um, the outline uh, right there. So you can follow along. We'll be dividing our time in half. First, prioritize gospel advance over our self-interest. Secondly, prioritize God's people over self-interest. So first, gospel advance. Second, God's people. Well, let's begin with the first there. Prioritizing gospel advance over our self-interest. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 14, and that persecution can actually advance the gospel. It's interesting. If you look at verse 12, how he starts, he, he's giving a lot of emphasis. He says, I want you to know. 
And then he says, what's happened is really served to advance the gospel. So if, if someone says to you, I really want you to know something, it's important because they could have easily been discouraged, couldn't they? If they find out, hey, our hero's in jail, they could think this is the beginning of the end of Christianity. But he says, no, no. The gospel is still going forward. But what exactly does this phrase mean, advance the gospel? I think we actually have been experiencing something. There's been something that's been advancing person to person through the whole world. We all know what it is. It's coronavirus, right? And so as it goes, it spreads death and suffering to many. Has it not? Person to person. And it's spreading. Well, the gospel, differently, has been spreading person to person to the whole world, bringing life and health to many people. So the gospel is advancing, and this is what is happening through the whole imperial guard. The advance of the gospel was central to Paul's thinking. And it should be our thinking. I mean, you think about coronavirus. If someone gets too close to you, are they going to catch the gospel? Interesting to think about. All right, well, let's keep going. A little convicting, we'll keep moving there. All right, so two proofs that Paul gives that the gospel is advancing. The first there is that um, the whole imperial guard is, has found out, and all the rest, so that all the rest we found in chapter 4 is the imperial household. So it's spreading all the way to the imperial household. How else would have he gotten access if he wasn't in prison? He says, look, this is really strategic. I am stuck here, but I'm having this great ministry. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 says, Remember Christ Jesus, Paul again, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Isn't that great? He said, they can chain me up, but you cannot stop the gospel. It's like a freight train. It just plows through everything. The gospel is like that. And so he gives this proof. He says, look, it's moving forward. So I ask you, is God's Word bound on your street, in your workplace? Does it have freedom to move as it did for Paul? His second proof he gives in verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. He said, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are doing what? What does it say? Are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. So he's saying other people are watching me. And it's bolstering their courage to speak to others because, hey, they're seeing, hey, it didn't stop Paul. We aren't going to let it stop us. What's the worst they can do? They'll throw us in prison. It didn't stop. It's, it's not constraining Paul. And so it's encouraging. So Paul says, look, these two things, good fruit has been brought from me being stuck in prison. Look at verse 15 to 18. And, and we see there that Paul rejoices when Christ is proclaimed regardless of the motives. Regardless of the motives. He's going to contrast two people. They have the same actions. They're both preaching the gospel, but with very different motives. Look there, the first group, they preach Christ from goodwill, out of love, knowing that Paul was put in prison for the defense of the gospel and their preaching was in truth. They're doing the right things for the right reasons. Sounds pretty good. All right, well, now he's going to talk about another group. He says, they preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Uh-oh, that's not good. Out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. They're actually preaching to get Paul in more trouble. Their preaching is in pretense, it said. The big question is, what's Paul going to say? What's the natural thing you're expecting? Be like the one, don't be like the other. Avoid the other. But it's not what he says. Look at verse 18. What did he say? 
Let's read it. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, what? I rejoice. It's crazy. Paul is rejoicing in people out of envy and rivalry preaching to get him in trouble. It is because he has prioritized the gospel pushing forward more than his own self-interest. Do you see it there? It's really amazing. It's really amazing. Well, I want to, I want to point out something else. I'm sorry my mic comes in out. Am I doing okay? Okay. Uh, so there's something else here. Did you notice, or have you thought about how did the Imperial Guard find out? Did it go viral? Were they on Instagram and Facebook? Hey, did you know that guy, Paul? He's in here because of Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. Was it because Jesus was, I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus. Paul was just living such a Christ-like life, and he was just waiting for someone to say, what is different about you, Paul? I just, I can tell something's different about you. No. Here's the answer. The clue is in verse 14. Think of it this way. If whatever Paul's doing, which we're going to figure out, He's doing this. Other people, they are watching him and imitating him. And what does it say in verse 14 about what they do? It says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, were watching him, have become much more bold to do what? Speak the word. They were actually using their mouth. I know this seems basic, but in our age, it has to be made a point. They were talking. They were opening their mouth, even if masked, and speaking to someone else about Jesus. If you look through the passage, it jumps off the page. Let me just highlight it for you. Verse 14, much more bold to speak the word. 15, preach Christ. 17, proclaim Christ. 18, Christ is proclaimed. Do you get the point? They're talking. It is spreading. Person, In order for someone to come to know the gospel, you have to tell them. You have to tell them. So we've looked at the first half of the passage. We've seen how Paul has prioritized the gospel advance over his own self-interest. Now let's look, secondly, how he prioritized God's people over his own self-interest. Look with me at 19-21. to This great idea of to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let's start with 19. He says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. All right, what do you think when you hear deliverance? He's in prison. You think he's going to get out, right? Look at verse 20. He clarifies what he means by deliverance. He says, As is my eager expectation and hope, that I will at not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by what and what? Life. Or by death. There's two ways to be delivered from prison, isn't there? He could be delivered to life to go on ministering in freedom. Or he could be delivered from prison to death. He could be executed and be with Jesus immediately. That's not what we think when we think deliverance, is it? But it is for Paul. Delivered to Christ. Well, look at verse, this great verse, verse 21. Paul says, For me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. I love that. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's split that in half and look at the first half first. To live is Christ. Christ was Paul's reason for living. I don't know if you've ever been around an athlete 
It's definitely true of the pros, definitely true of college. It's true of some high school athletes that their just whole life is consumed with their sport. Like they live and breathe football. They live and breathe soccer, whatever their sport is, basketball. And so, yes, they do their homework. Yes, they eat. Yes, they sleep and they're with their families. But they're always thinking about the game, the big game on Friday night. Have you ever seen that? It's true. Athletes will do this. And they're, they're, it's a mindset. Their identity, it's an identity, it's a mindset, it's a lifestyle, right? It's just everything is their sport. Now, not assessing the, the value or the good of that, but isn't that what Paul is doing? Isn't that Paul's life? That you know, He made tents, he slept, he walked, he traveled, he did all these things, but he was always, to live was Christ to him. It consumed, it permeated every part of his life that is to be the Christian life, there's an expression that I think captures this well. It's this, living on mission. Living on mission. Living on mission means that you're living your daily life in a mindset, mindful that you are on a mission, that you've been given a mission from God to advance the gospel. And so everything else you do, you're living on a mission. I like that phrase. And both personally and as churches, so what does that look like personally? reproducing our lives spiritually in others. We build intentional, real friendships with our lost neighbors, our co-workers, our children for the sake of the gospel. And we speak of the gospel. But then corporately as churches, that we are involved in multiplying our lives, our church, in church planting. Remember, this is a letter from Paul to a church that he planted 10 years prior. Paul really cared about church planting. My heart's desire is to plant a church 30 minutes from here that will plant other churches, that will then have daughter churches, that will multiply itself. I, I see that clear as day in Paul. All right, so that's the first half. To live is Christ. What was the second half? To die is gain. Now, how in the world is dying gain? Most people don't think that way. To die is gain. Paul means that he will be brought into full communion with Christ. He says, hey, you guys are great, but to, to die, to be with Jesus. Well, that, this, that idea is expanded on. So let's keep looking. Verses 22 to 26, we see how he desires to be with Christ, but prioritizes God's people. And we kind of get a window into Paul's thinking. I mean, he doesn't get to decide his future. None of us do. But, it, but if it was up to him, what, it, what would be his preference? That this is what he's going to explain. Look at 22. There's two options, he says. Option one, look at verse 22. He says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Okay, so what's option one? Live in the flesh. And what will it mean? Fruitful labor. He can go on seeing people come to Christ, grow in Christ. Ooh, that's a good option. What's option two? Look at verse 23. He said, hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Okay, so which one sounds better to him? He says, you guys great? Be with Jesus. Oh, it would be so much better. That's his choice. Do we think like that? Do we long to be with Jesus? I mean, the Bible ends that way. Jesus said, in Revelation 22, he says, I am coming soon. And the Apostle John says, Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Do we long for Jesus to come? Do we long to be with our Savior? 
This is what Paul did. So he said, hey, it's not up to me. If it was, I would love to be with Jesus. If I get executed and I get up to Jesus, that's great. Oh, but wait, he doesn't stop there, does he? Look at verse 24 through 26. So beyond his own self-interest, which he'd say, I'd love to be with Jesus, he says this, but, always pay attention when the Bible says, but, but to remain in the flesh, to live on, is more necessary on whose account? Your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What was the focus of that of those verses? It was not Paul. It was the you. Who's the you? It was God's people. You see, it is far better for him to be with Christ, but he says, hey, there's something that I care about even more than my own self-interest, and that is you. It is God's people. He cares more about God's people than he does himself. I love that. It's so amazing. So Ephesians 2.10 says, this is else, another letter from Paul. He says, For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works for which God prepared in advance for you to walk in them. There was more stuff for Paul to do. And he was confident. He said, it's not time for me to go to Jesus yet. i got more work to do. There are things that God has specifically planned for you to do. He intends for you personally to do them, and he's planned them out. This was true of Paul, too. You think back to verse 21 that to live is Christ. Paul cared most about what was important to Christ, which was Christ's people. It was Christ's people. So if you in your life are not primarily focused on living for Christ, what's going to happen? I want to lay out two things. I think one of these two things is going to happen in your life. You will either have little moments of pleasure, and, but a very empty life. Either there will be little circumstances that are fun and enjoyable, but you're basically going to be empty. The other thing is that you will be um, depressed and have an empty life. I, one of, and I think actually people just oscillate between those. Something nice will happen, happy for a moment, but kind of empty, and then despair and emptiness. The theme is emptiness. John 10.10 says, The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, this is Christ speaking, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's where we get it in our vision statement. A full life in Christ. To have full life. Christ desires you to have a full life and it's only found by knowing Him and serving Him. You can try anywhere else and you will have an empty life. Maybe moments of pleasure, but mainly the theme will be very empty. You, brothers and sisters, were created for more than the trivial pleasures of this world. The greatest pleasures possible in this life are found in knowing and serving Christ. This is the true irony. This is the irony. Is that if you actually seek to have a happy life, to seek your self-interest, do what you think is going to make you the happiest, you will be the most miserable. On the other hand, if you seek not your own interests, but you actually seek the interests of Christ, you will actually be the happiest. Isn't that ironic? Those who seek what they think, they're all focused on their own pleasure. They don't get it. But if you seek my kingdom 
first. You, all these things we've given to you as well. Yeah, it's truly ironic. And when does this begin? This begins when you become adopted into the family of God. So if you have not, never confessed, your selfish living today is a great day to do it. If you've lived your whole life basically for yourself, then you need to turn to Christ and you'll be adopted into His family. He will pay the price for that sin along with all the rest. But I imagine that many of you have done that long ago. You are Christians. You are leaning on Christ. So you might be thinking this sermon is for someone else. But I want to ask you these questions. Consider these things. Are you joyful? Are you joyful? Does your mind regularly think about the salvation of your neighbors? What gets you most excited? Kids, young people, young adults, what are your dreams for your life? Adults, what are your dreams for your life? Do you pray for the salvation of your neighbors? Are you sad with their empty lives? Do you really believe that God could save someone through you? The truth is this passage applies to all of us, me included. And if you know this morning that your life revolves too much around your own self-interest, what are you to do? What are you to do? Remember what Paul said. For me to live is Christ. Why was that? Was it just that Christ was a worthy cause? I could present to you this morning many worthy causes and, and I could legitimately say Christ is the most worthy. Right? There's humanitarian work, there's environmental work, and they're very worthy causes. And I could say, Christ is the most worthy. And I could try to sell you on that. There's something way more motivating than that. It is that Jesus actually died for you. Like, I know you've heard that a thousand times since kindergarten. But, like, he literally bled because of the sins you've chosen to do. Because he loved you. Paul said, I am compelled, I am pushed by the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the greatest motivator there is that you would want to advance His kingdom because He loved us. He loved you. Paul expands on this in Galatians 2.20. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. It says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It was like I was on the cross with Jesus. I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live. My life is like it's over. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul saw his life as being wrapped up in the life of Christ. That's the greatest motivator. I can give you no greater motivation than the love of Christ. So what's after that? What do you do? I think you should probably do what Paul and the believers in this passage did. I think there's three things we see them doing. The three things are desire, plan, and do. Desire, plan, and do. Let's unpack that. First, they desired. We see all through this passage, Paul desires very deeply for their good. He just loves these people. He wants to see them progress in their faith. This desire, I, I encourage you, why don't you add to your bucket list your neighbor's salvation? It's a great place to start. Just do you have that desire? Is it even on your radar? I think there's two mindsets 
I want to explain to you. One is the vacationer mindset, and the other is the missionary mindset. All right, so imagine this. You go to London on vacation. What are you going to think about? Where are the best restaurants? What tourist attractions do I want to see? You plan out your visit, right? Now, if you go to London on a mission trip, how are you going to think different than if you were there on vacation? You're going to think about, how can I serve these people? How can I help them know Christ? What about the churches? And what can I do to advance the gospel here? It's a very different mindset. Nothing wrong with vacation, but there's something special about a missionary mindset. You are going to live most of your lives not on a mission trip. I'm just guessing most of your daily life is not going to be in London on a mission trip. But if you have that mindset of a missionary, it makes all the difference. This came home to me personally when I was in college. I went to Virginia Tech. My freshman year, I went on a little mission trip on spring break. Come back the next Monday, I'm sitting in freshman English. And I just remember, as, as if it was yesterday, I looked around the classroom, and it just struck me that these people, these fellow students, are people just like the people that I was trying to minister to on, on uh, the um, spring break mission trip. And it just, like the, this dividing wall in my mind of these mindsets came crumbling down. And I just realized that people are people, they need Jesus. Later, after college, I worked, and I'd have to often remind myself, these people, my boss, my coworkers, they have souls. It just, I had to continue, and it helped me. So then later, I would share the gospel with my boss because I cared about him. And I realized this different mindset. You know, I, I get it. It's one thing to live all out for Jesus at 21. I'm 41 now. It's completely different. I get it. You have a job. You have a lawn. You have a house. You have kids' practices to get to. You have a lot of stuff going on. I get it. But it is possible to live with a missionary mindset. All right, there's a show. It's before my time. Old black and white show called I Love Lucy. And there is this scene in an episode where she's in a chocolate factory. If you've ever seen it, it's hilarious. If you haven't, go on YouTube. I Love Lucy Chocolate Factory. I've showed it to all my kids. It's really funny. Okay, three-minute clip. Here's what it is. She's in a chocolate factory. There's a conveyor belt, her and her friend, and there's little chocolate candies coming down the conveyor belt, and their jobs are to wrap them in a little wrapper, right? You might guess what happens. They start real slow, and it gets faster and faster, and next thing you know, she's like eating them and like putting them in her hat, and like, you know, it's just, it's hilarious. So I want to I wanna adjust the I Love Lucy scenario a little bit. Imagine you're on the assembly line. All right? Your job is just wrap the candies, buddy. Just keep them and don't let any go past you. But then someone comes over to you and whispers in your ear and says, hey, I just want you to know the end of this year, our factory is going to burn down. There's only one way of escape. It's its door up there. Okay? I just want you to know. And they walk away. Candies are still coming past you. And you, and you think to yourself, you should look around and you're like, nobody else here knows. You know, all my other coworkers, they are definitely going to die. But then, you know, the, the little chocolate candies are flying by, and you're like, and then every little while you think about that, and that thought, you just can't get rid of that thought. What are you going to do? You realize nobody else is going to find this out unless I actually tell them. But how can I leave my line? The candies just keep coming by. Isn't life like that? Is your life not like that? I mean, 20 years ago, weren't the candies moving much slower? You could actually get them all wrapped and still talk to somebody about Jesus. And they're just flying by. You got kids' activities. You can barely keep everything together. I get that. Paul warns in 2 Timothy 2, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Why? Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
Paul said, he said, a soldier doesn't get wrapped up in all the things that everyone else does because he's actually, he has an enlisting officer. He's never going to finish what he was told to do if he gets all wrapped up in everything. I worked for 12 years before going into the ministry. And so I saw those challenges. And I had to figure out, how do I figure? I, I, I've got to keep, keep wrapping those little candies. How do I? So on my lunch break, I'd have lunch with my coworkers. I started a prayer group. I started a Bible study. How do I help people while I've got this, all this chaos? It begins with desire. You will not do, listen to me, brothers and sisters, you will not do what you do not desire. You will not do what you do not desire. It begins with desire. So secondly, it goes to planning. Paul actually planned this letter. He planned to go visit them. He made plans, specific, intentional plans. He would plan out where he would go, city to city. He planned. What can this look like for us? What can this look like? Think for a moment. What could that look like for you? Here's a few ideas. You could invite a coworker to lunch outdoors from six feet away. You could talk to your neighbor across the fence. You could schedule to meet someone from church for coffee from a social distance. You could go play golf together wearing a mask. While you're doing these things, ask really good questions. Ask their story. Ask about their life. And if in their story they don't include God, ask. Did you get burnt by a church? Have, did you grow up in the church? Have you never been to church? Just begin to understand where they're coming from and what's important to them and where they are with God. And then share your story. If they're a Christian, make sure to include your relationship with Christ. If they're not a Christian, make sure to include your relationship with Christ. Include the Gospel. It can be very natural. You have to speak. We ha- it's a speaking thing. They will not hear unless we open our mouth. But you have to make plans. Or you have to actually make plans. If they're a Christian, here's a great question. Just stick this in your pocket. You'll get a lot of value from it. Just ask them, how can I pray for you? Do you ask people that question? At the end of the conversation, hey, how can I be praying for you? It's a great invitation. There, people share things. I mean, I had a conversation with an old friend, and we talked for an hour. At the end, I said, hey, how can I pray for you? All of a sudden, I find out his whole life has exploded. Like, I mean, crazy things. I had no idea. And he just opened up like a book. It was after I asked him, how could I? He's like, well, actually, and there's zoom, all this stuff. And so then follow up. If they say, hey, I'm having surgery next month, send him a text next month. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I'm nervous about this. Just send him a text. Hey, I'm praying for you. Follow up. You'll be amazed how the gospel can advance through making very, very simple plans. You're listening to me and you're saying to yourself, I got no time for that. I'm way too busy for that. Answer this for me. Since coronavirus has come into our world, has it not cleared your schedule? Has, have you not canceled like hundreds of things that you thought you could not live without? Like there are activities and things that are all canceled, right? And are you, you're, you all still look, you're breathing, right? Our lives, it's, it's, it's been awful, but our lives have gone on. Those things, I mean, one thing I think we can learn from all this is all the things we fill our lives with, not all of them are as essential as we thought. Not all of them are as essential as we thought. 
you might have heard this analogy of the jar, right? And you put in the big rocks and then the pebbles and the sand. And so if the big rock is the gospel advance and the pebbles are your, your house projects and the, the sand is your leisure and your um, hobbies, you will never have time. If you put in the, the pebbles, the rocks, and the sand, no joke, you ain't getting that big rock in there. Unless it is the top priority. This is just how it works. If your big rock is not your top priority, it is not going to fit. If it's not top of your list, if gospel advance isn't top, it's never going to happen. It will never, you will never have time. It will never be convenient for any of us unless we make it a priority. We have to make plans. You will never finish the chocolates. If your plan is, hey, I'm going to finish the chocolates and then I'll go tell somebody, it's not going to work. You know it from your own experience. And I think Satan loves this. If our lives are so full, there's just, we feel like there's no room. And so then lastly, plan, I'm sorry, desire, plan was the last thing. You got to do something. In the end, you got to do something. Paul did something. He actually opened his mouth and spoke to the guards. We have to follow through on the plans we make. Your good intentions will never save your neighbors. Your good and my good intentions will never save anybody. It's actually action. So think for a moment, which of those is the breakdown for you? Desire, plan, or do? Do you have the desire for this? Do you actually make plans? And then do you actually carry them through? This is a helpful place to start. And in your response could be, hey, I just stink. I'm a terrible person. I'm guilt. I don't recommend. It's not a biblical response to this. I think a more biblical response is repentance. As your pastor just said a little while ago, to come before God and just own up. He knows it. And say, God, I have not made the gospel advance the big rock in my life. He knows it. Own up to it and just say, I'm sorry. And enjoy the grace of Christ. He washes us white as snow from all our sins, including our selfish interests. I love how Paul said this. May these be our words. Not that I've already obtained all this but, or made perfect. None of us have. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and striving, may we strive toward what lies ahead, brothers and sisters. And remember, this was not always true in Paul's life. He used to be killing Christians for crying out loud. All these other people were average, run-of-the-mill pagans. God did something. God can do something in your life. He did it in their lives. He can do it in yours. <clears throat> may God, <clears throat> May God help us to repent today for our self-interest versus His gospel advance. May God give us new desires in our hearts. May God help us to develop plans to intentionally invest in the gospel advance. May God help us carry out those plans. May we experience the same joy that Paul did. And may at the end of our life, may we be able to say that we made progress on one bucket list item, the advance of the gospel. So at the end of our days, we may say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I've kept the faith. May those be your words. Let's pray.
Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we all know we've fallen short. Lord, we repent. Lord, have mercy. Lord, I pray that you would change us. Change us, Lord Jesus. Give us new desires. Give us new plans, creativity. And help us follow through on those plans. Lord, help us start small. Start with something. I pray that they would walk away and be encouraged that this really can happen. This is not impossible. You've done it before. You've done it in so many people. Do it in them. Do it in us. Do it in me, Lord Jesus. For your glory. You are worthy, O Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.